God, give us a new definition of what great means, God. Let us not be glib with the word great, God. You are the hero of heaven. You conquered the grave. You free every captive. You've broken every chain. We dance in your freedom. Awaken alive, O oh Jesus, our Savior. Your name forever, forever be lifted high. And it's in your name we will always pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all so much for worshiping with us this morning. I'd like to invite up Pastor Jamie. Good morning. Can we celebrate the God who has done great things in our lives? Yeah. He is a God who has created us, and when we made our own mess, he has restored and redeemed us to himself. If you don't know me, my name is Jamie Moore. I serve as one of the pastors and elders here. And if you're visiting with us here, we're so glad that you're here with us. If you're online, we're glad that you're worshiping with us as well. Um, I just want to give a couple of announcements, and I'm going to invite Dennis to come and to share with us this morning. One of the great things that God has done is the work that he's done in Dennis and Marianne Bosager's life. Isn't that true? Yeah. <laughs> and so we're going to celebrate that great thing that God has done in the last 18 years here in this place. So I want to make sure that everyone knows about Saturday, June 4th, that you will come and be a part of this event. 5 p.m., we're going to have a picnic party here at the Parish Center, actually right back over there. Uh, kiddos playing, us being together. A couple things that you need to bring. Number one. Bring a side dish that feeds eight to ten people. We want to feed an entire army of people. So bring a side dish. Bring a pre-written note or card for Dennis and Marianne. We're going to have a, a basket that you can place that in there. I just want to encourage you, think about maybe one or two stories of their influence in your life that you could just write into a card and place that, that we're going to uh, make that available to Dennis and Mary Ann. And also bring your own chairs. We're going to have some seating available, but we want you to bring your own chairs if you have them. Okay, so Saturday, June 4th, 5 p.m., Beausager Retirement Party. The end of June, we have our congregational meeting. Just want to make sure that you're aware of that. We're going to do congregational meeting in between services. So we have two shorter services, the first and second service with congregational meeting in between from 10 to 10.30. In that meeting, we're going to be... Uh, welcoming new elders, uh, acknowledging leaders in our church. We're also going to be talking about the Constitution. The elders have been working on updating our Constitution. You should have received a packet. If you haven't, go see Mark Symes or go to the welcome desk. Make sure that you have that packet. Shows red line what's being changed in the Constitution, giving you plenty of time to ask any questions, make any comments that you would like to make regarding the Constitution. Full disclosure, most of those changes are just updating to like normal like current life here at MCC. Like for instance, if you're gonna communicate the Constitution, the old version, we had to mail it out to everyone. So one of the changes is, hey, we're gonna to try to either email or hand it to you and just make that as a part of the Constitution. So it's those kinds of things. So make sure that you're aware of that. Finally, summer schedule, I just wanted you to be aware, we're gonna be moving our Wednesday night prayer and worship to the first Wednesday of the month, 
in June, July, and August. So during the summer, we'll just have prayer and worship one Wednesday, the first Wednesday of each of the summer months. June 5 will be Pentecost Sunday. We're going to be celebrating Pentecost. June 19, two Sundays later, Dee and I are going to have a Q&A time. It'll be the second to last Sunday that Dennis and Marianne are here. So instead of a message, Dennis and I are going to be right here doing Q&A time, and we want to any questions that you guys want to ask about the transition, about Dennis, about my grooming process for this amazing beard, any question that you want to ask, I got answers for that too. I'll tell you that right now. Any questions that you want to ask, I want to make sure that you have an opportunity to ask that question. Does that make sense? So it's just a Q&A time, Dennis and I. Some of y'all, some of y'all jokers are actually going to put a question in, I think, about that. June 26th, I want you to be aware, it is the Bo's last Sunday with us, June 26th, before they go on sabbatic leave for the fall, and then they are coming back in January as a member of this congregation. But I want you to be aware of that. Please be a part of these Sundays and these moments, uh, and let's take advantage of being there together. And then finally, July 3rd, we're going to start a new summer and fall sermon series on identity. I'm really excited about that. So we'll start that July 3rd. And I'll go through the summer and into the fall. Okay? Sound good? Let me pray for D, and then invite him up. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that you um, speak to us, that you are not hidden, but you are a God who has revealed himself. Not only have you revealed yourself, you have come after us as a missional God. So we thank you, Father, Son, and Spirit. We thank you. That even when we were enemies of yours, you came after us to rescue us. And I thank you for my brother Dennis. Ask Holy Spirit that you will fill him. That he will come and speak your very words, Jesus, to us. And all God's people said, amen. Come on, D. Thank you, Jamie. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Good to worship together. Uh, today's message is about living on mission, living on mission, and this is how we follow uh, a missional God who is working in the world around us to build his family for our good and for his glory. So that's what we're doing today. So if you want to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, I'm going to dive in there in a minute. Today's texts are uh, really challenging in a really good way. This is the last letter that Paul writes in the Bible. This is the last letter that he wrote chronologically uh, uh, in his life before he was killed, beheaded. And Paul has been saved, as we know, dramatically uh, on the road to Damascus. And he has experienced God in profound ways. Uh, God is uh, working through him, uh, putting him in jail. Um, many commentators say, yeah, if he didn't put him in jail so often, the New Testament would have never got written uh, because Paul was uh, eager to share about this God that saved him and eager to bring the wisdom that comes along with knowing God and walking with God. And so this letter is kind of fierce. It's uh, very gentle it's uh, filled with uh, wisdom and it's filled with gratitude uh, of, a, of a guy who knows he's made his life 
count. He's made his life count. And actually, this morning, he's inviting all of us to make a decision today, if we haven't already made that decision, to make our lives count for the kingdom of God, to make our lives count for the glory of Jesus. So this is uh, where Paul is coming from uh, in this letter. So let me uh, just dive into the text and read the section. So I'm in 2 Timothy chapter 2. First part is verses 1 to 13. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And then we come to this trustworthy saying number four. The saying is trustworthy for, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And then moving over to chapter 4, the first eight verses. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. These are the very words of God. So as we look at these texts, I've I've broken it up into four sections. So living on mission means four different things. Living on mission means making disciples that multiply. Making disciples that multiply. That's the first seven verses of 2 Timothy 2. The second thing that living on mission means is enduring suffering for the gospel. 
That's the second part of that passage in chapter 2, verses 8 to 13. The third is it means uh, knowing and jumping into our kingdom assignment. And that's the first uh, five verses of 2 Timothy 4. And then uh, living on mission means that we will receive a reward for the race uh, from the Lord himself, verses 6 to 8 of chapter 4. So, Father, uh, we think of these texts, of this amazing letter from Paul written to his disciple Timothy, encouraging him, uh, challenging him. And Lord, we ask that you would speak encouragement and challenge to each one of us today as we think about what it means to live on mission. Uh, Lord, and we thank you that, Jesus, you have shown the way on how to do that. So be uh, present now, Lord, uh, as we continue to worship you with our minds and our hearts uh, as we listen to your word and the implications of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first piece is all about making uh, multiplying disciples. And um, if you were here Wednesday night, you heard uh, one of our uh, regulars, Scott Hobart, who uh, grew up on a farm. He explained some things to us about corn, which I didn't know. But he says a bushel of corn seed, seed corn, I should say, could, could cost around $300. And that bushel uh, of seed corn, properly, properly managed by the farmer, will produce uh, 550 bushels of corn. So the seed corn will cost about $300, and the 550 bushels of corn will be worth almost $4,000. So this uh, is kind of a message that it struck me that night was, don't produce seedless fruit. Don't produce seedless fruit. That is, when we get the opportunity to introduce somebody to Jesus... Um, let's be thinking at the very beginning of the process that part of knowing Jesus for real is to be <clears throat> a person who also becomes a person who produces fruit. That there's no, if you will, in the grand Ponzi scheme of the gospel, that there would be no dead ends in the chain that each person would reproduce and find other people to share. And this is precisely what he's saying in the first two verses. Uh, first of all, he says the whole process of living on mission is powered by grace. He's, he says, I'm strengthened by grace. So this is not something that we're mustering up and doing in our own power. This is something that comes from Christ living in us, right? Christ living in us, and the grace of Jesus is powering us. So it's, it's a reminder to embrace the grace, to, to walk in that grace that the king of the universe has visited the earth and has chosen us to be his kids and to just rejoice in that and to welcome that grace and remind ourselves of that grace every single day. I'm a child of God. I'm a friend of God. This is all what's happened, what's been done for me. So powered by grace, but then thinking generationally. So Paul says to Timothy, so Paul is generation one. Timothy is generation two. 
And then he says to Timothy, find faithful men. That's generation three. Who will be faithful to tell others? That's generation four. So what Paul is doing here is saying, I want you to think generationally. You know, sometimes the leader of a bike gang is going to be the most prolific disciple maker. The person who is the most far from God, like John Newton, a slave ship captain, far, far, far away from God, becomes a pastor who discipled hundreds of people and left us things like amazing grace. So you never know who it is you're talking to and how God is going to use them. So think generationally. Think generationally. I know one thing. When I look at this church and I look at especially uh, these families who are raising young children and teenagers, I'm looking and I'm seeing this is the future uh, that Paul's referring to here in verse 2. That these are the, these are the people who are going to be the church 20 years from now, 30 years from now. They're going to be the ones who are generationally bringing. So let's be thinking all the time, who can I tell? Who can I invite? Who can I bring along with me? And let's not try to do anything on our own, but let's enter into this virtuous cycle that God has ordained. And Jesus agrees completely with Paul because he says in the Great Commission, you then are to go and make disciples of all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you and remember I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Now notice Jesus' strategy, teach them to obey everything. Well, what was the greatest command? What was the first thing to teach somebody? Love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There's no command greater than these two. So that's the first thing we teach. But the last command Jesus gave was the Great Commission on the mountain in Galilee. So there he gives the final command. And so Jesus built into all his commands a giant loop. And you, you teach command number one and you go all the way around. And by the way, people have looked at those commands and depending how you look at it, it's not an infinite number. It's like 50. And the last one that he gave is the Great Commission, which puts into the loop, ah, so now go and make disciples of, and teach them to obey everything. So you see the loop that Paul, the generational thinking Paul has is, comes from Jesus, who's thinking generationally, Jesus wants us to make fruit with seeds. So, what do we look for? Well, Paul says, you look for soldiers, athletes, and farmers. That's what you look for. Think about it, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Use, he wants you to find, so, find soldiers, athletes, and farmers. So, what, what do you get when you get a soldier? You get somebody who understands authority and somebody who has courage somebody who's brave. So that's what you get when you get a soldier. We uh, made our first trip to Nigeria in 2009, and we were outside the church after the meeting where we had a chance to speak to the people that were making disciples. And outside the meeting, 
uh, there was a bunch of people, and everybody has these little, little motorbikes. And we looked out, and there was like 50 motorbikes kind of parked in a circle around this one guy. And this one guy's name is Samuel, Samuel Denture. And we, we, we looked at each other and we said, there's the general. There's the general. So we began to get to know Samuel. And it's interesting, but over time, Samuel has found other soldiers and other workers. And in the uh, 13 years between now and then, there have been 17,000 new people come to Christ in about four or 500 churches in villages in northwest Nigeria. And this was, this was the soldier. And this, this was the, 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 the one that God showed us to build into and invest and work with him. So much better to have somebody who knows the local culture than to have the foreigners. So we came behind him and started encouraging him, praying for him. Now, what do you get when you get an athlete? You get somebody with discipline. You get somebody with stamina. This athlete uh, is obviously in a way of thinking about their life, in a way of doing things. So get yourself a soldier. You know, we've got people who are uh, working with college students across the country in, in our part of our, our mission team. And we have uh, Royce and Liz who are serving in their second decade of making disciples. And it, it's hard. It doesn't, it doesn't become fruitful right away. And then uh, you've got uh, Jay and Candy working with Athletes in Action. Um, they've been at it three decades. Then you've got uh, Roger and Roxanne Hershey who've been working at it for four decades. And then you've got uh, the shell houses who are sitting back there. Kent's got laryngitis, so don't make him talk. But they've been at it five decades, according to my calculations. So way to be faithful. Way to be faithful. That's what we're talking about. Athletes, they have discipline and stamina. They stay on task. They keep going. And then finally, uh, you want to find farmers. And what do farmers have? Farmers have wisdom and they have patience. They have wisdom and they have patience. Uh, a good example of a farmer, uh, a team of farmers, is Renee in uh, our preschool, the director of our preschool, and working with people like Laura Snow and Mary Ann and now Sarah. And we are seeking to encounter these children and these families with the good news of Jesus to wrap our arms around them to encourage them and to lead them towards Christ. And it is, sometimes it's a long process. Maybe it doesn't happen with the first child. Maybe it doesn't happen with the second child. But maybe eventually with the third child, they begin to see the fruit. And so the farmer has to be wise and patient. So look for these kind of people. Look for these kind of people who, who will be eager to hear more. If someone is not interested, please don't be discouraged. Don't waste your time. Bless them and move on. And invest in the people who are ready, the people God has prepared for us. Uh, and, and lastly, let me give you a little acronym to think about. 
Look for people who are fat. Fat, F-A-T. Faithful, available, teachable. Faithful, available, teachable trumps natural abilities 100% of the time. Faithful, available, teachable. Make sense? Okay, so that's the first point. Just thinking generationally, making disciples that multiply, making fruit, making Jesus fruit, fruit that's got lots of seeds and lots of reproductive potential in it. All right, the second part of his letter, uh, that chapter 2, is suffering for the gospel. Paul says, look, expect some hardship. You may not be thrown in jail, but you may lose some friends. People may think that you're some kind of religious fanatic or whatever. Uh, You may end up uh, losing some reputation points. Who knows? Paul, and, and you may end up in jail. You may end up in jail. There's a church now in Smyrna, in Turkey, in ancient Smyrna, It's one of the two churches in Revelation that got a good report card from Jesus in chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation. There's seven churches. Only two get a good report card. One of those is Smyrna. And now in Turkey, the only place of those seven cities where there is a church is in Smyrna. And they meet six stories underground, and there's about 110 believers there, and they've all been in jail, every last one of them. So uh, we don't know what's going to happen, but he is enduring for the sake of the elect. What is the elect? The elect are those people that God knows will respond to the gospel and come to Christ. So he is enduring hardship for the sake of the elect so that they hear the message. So he takes the risk to bring the message wherever he is so that those that are being prepared by God can receive the message uh, in their timing. So he recognizes that difficulty comes with that. Uh, That's why we endure uh, difficulty. That's why we expect difficulty so it doesn't freak us out. So in this trustworthy saying, he kind of elaborates with a little poem here. He says... Here's a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we'll also live with him. In other words, to have eternal life, you need to die to yourself. You need to place your faith in Christ instead of yourself. And then if you do that, you will live with him. That's what we say in baptism days. Baptism days are funerals. The old person goes underwater, is, dies with Christ. The new person comes out of the water in resurrection power, living with Christ. So he's repeating the gospel there. But then he says, if we endure, uh, we will also reign with him. And that there's several scriptures that talk about enduring to the very end, to enduring the difficulty to the very end. And those who persevere to the end will be saved. Jesus says that. Uh, So we will reign with him. And it says in the scriptures that we will judge angels, we will judge the 12 tribes of Israel. You know, there's all these scriptures that point to this role we have in the future of ruling with him. Uh, It's not crystal clear exactly how it works, but we are ruling with him. So uh, that's for those who endure. Uh, If we disown him, he will also disown us. Uh, And 
if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. It's just not in his nature to do that. So what does this poem tell us about? Well, first of all, we have to ask ourselves, uh, you know, what is, what is the thing that could possibly cause us to disown him? You know, you can disown him like Peter did, but you can also disown him uh, by lack of saying anything, by lack of stopping to deal with like the Good Samaritan did, by not stepping in and speaking the truth. Now, Barna just published a study, and 56% of American Christians believe their faith is a private matter between them and God. 56%. And I think the whole mentality of private faith uh, leads us to this place of inaction. It leads us to the place of not speaking up when we have the opportunity to speak up. There's all kinds of situations where we uh, end up being timid. And in chapter 1 of this letter, Paul, first of all, spends a lot of time in prayer. And each of us need to think prayer is the... Be if it's all about grace, then prayer has got to be the first step, right? So Paul says that in chapter 1. But in verse 7, he says, don't be timid. Don't be timid. And how many times are we timid, in, especially in the culture that we have? Now, I'm not talking about being wise. There is a time to be wise, but I'm talking about knowing in your heart you're, you're, be, you're feeling timid. That's not from God, because what he gave us, he gave us power, love, and self-discipline, not timidity. So notice when you're feeling timid, and then in verse 8 he says, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed that you were one of those pathetic people who knew they were sinners, who needed the crutch of Jesus. It's actually exactly what it is. We have, the, we have total inability, total inability to choose what's right without Christ. We just don't. And we, we keep getting caught in our sin over and over again. So he's saying, look, guys, die with him, live with him, endure the difficulty, reign with him, and do not be timid. Do not disown him. Do not miss the opportunity. Walk in, walk in power, love, and self-discipline. In other words, be athletes, be soldiers, be farmers, be wise. And here's the point. Jesus is the number one missionary. Jesus is the one who left heaven and came for us. That's the first and most important thing to remember. He's the number one missionary. So he's at work, and he's inviting us to join him. All right? So let me just tell you a couple of stories. This is amazing. This is, this is how God is at work. First story, I'm here maybe a year. This is 2005. All of a sudden, halfway through my sermon, this guy comes in, and he's sweating. He's got a T-shirt on, and he's got shorts on, and he's got tennis shoes, and they're stained green. 
And he walks in, he sits right over here. And I'm in the middle of the sermon, and I forget what the sermon was. But, um, and then he left right away, uh, near the end, so I didn't get a chance to talk to him. He came back the next week, came back the next week. Finally, about the third week, he stayed and got a chance to meet him. And I said, hey, how you doing? And he, he said, I'm fine. My name's Pete Zielinski. And um, he said, um, I said, so what brought you to Marymount Church? He said, well, I was mowing my lawn three Sundays ago, and I heard a voice very clearly say, drop the lawnmower and go to church. So I did. I, I dropped my lawnmower, and I walked over here, and I sat right down there. And after time, he... Uh, committed himself to Christ. He's following the Lord. He's written some books. Uh, is uh, about uh, the kingdom. He's written a book about the Ten Commandments. Uh, it's a it's an amazing story, and um, we had very little to do with it except to be doing what we're doing, which is preaching the word. But God did God did it. God was after Pete, absolutely. Another guy that I worked with at P&G, we were in the earthquake together in Japan, and um, he was back here, as was I, and I started meeting with him uh, over lunch hour at the office, near the office downtown. And uh, we had one meeting, two meetings, three meetings. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, you know, we're, we're reading through the book of Ephesians, and like the first chapter is just killer, second chapter is even more killer. Third chapter is all about how much God loves us. I mean, that's just amazing. So before the fourth chapter meeting, I'm saying to myself, okay, you, don't be timid, Dennis. You gotta just, we got to do the gospel today. we got to bring Jeff home. And uh, walk in, order my lunch. He says, you never believe what happened to me today. I was uh, reading chapter 4 early this morning, and God suited me up. I'm in. I'm following Jesus together. <laughs> Don't, don't, need, don't need evangelistic techniques. Don't need a lot. I, 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 I will say I, I prayed for him hard, uh, but I prayed for a lot of people. It, it doesn't happen all the time. I just want you to say, I just want you to see that Jesus is at work. Yes. He is at work. He is working in people's lives. He is telling lawnmowers to go to church. He is telling... Uh, IT guys at P&G to suit up for the kingdom. Uh, he's at work among your children. He's at work among your uh, brothers and sisters. He's at work among uh, your neighbors. Uh, he's at work because he is the hero of the story and he's the world's number one missionary. He is awesome. So recognize that. Tie into the grace and uh, watch him go to work in the lives of the people that you pray for, that you interact with. But again, wait, be ready for your opportunity and don't be timid. All right, so what's, uh, what's uh, the next point about being missional? It's what's your uh, kingdom assignment? What's your kingdom assignment? We have to be willing and ready to do what we feel the Lord is telling us to do. In this church, we've got people whose kingdom assignment is that they're on the boards of ministries that are serving the poor in our city or the sick in our city. Awesome. We have others whose primary kingdom assignment right now is raising godly children. 
That, that counts. That's really important. That's job one for every mother and father, right? So that's your kingdom assignment right now. By the way, kingdom assignments change in seasons. They come and go in seasons. Um, you know, uh, Scott and Heather uh, Hobart uh, left, sold their house in Marymount and bought a house in northern Kentucky as part of his retirement from P&G. He had a daughter still going to NKU, so they bought a house over there. Little did they know that the family next door to them in that house would have the tragedy of the father overdosing on drugs. Literally weeks after they moved in. And now this family uh, is uh, in disarray, of course, and the Hobarts are ministering to this family. You haven't seen them around at church in the last three or four Sundays because the lady, the next door neighbor, and her two children, the lady came to them and said, I need help in finding a church and getting back my life with God. And so uh, they said, sure. So they researched all the churches in their area. They visited a couple. They found the church that was teaching the truth and that would fit their children and the family. And they went there and they met everybody. And then they said, we've got this family. Here's the situation. And then they brought them to church. And they've been going to church with them for the last four Sundays to help them fit in, to help them get connected. Uh, and this is uh, not only that, but they are mowing their lawn and doing all kinds of other stuff. But they didn't know when they bought that house. But God knew. The missional God knew. And God moved this godly family, boom, next door. God is on mission. So look around and like ask yourself, like, what is happening around me? Um, what has God prepared for me to do? Have your antenna up and look and engage with people and see uh, what he's up to. And this is where it's important to follow Jesus' model, which is to abide with the Father, so we abide with Christ, we pray, and we listen. And we watch and we listen. And we ask God to show us, okay, who is it that you have prepared for this moment uh, in my life. And then, of course, uh, we have to be ready to jump in. And we shouldn't be shocked by evil. We're going to encounter evil as we do this. And Paul refers to this as he talks about uh, all these false teachers that are uh, giving uh, people what they want to hear, they're not listening to the truth. They're wandering off into myths. And so this, this is a real thing, that expect evil to sow the truth to fulfill your ministry. Um, there's all kinds of false teaching going on around us. Some of it is so evil and so despicable, we got a taste of that with the Buffalo shooting, didn't we? Yes. Okay, the taste, the, the, the teaching of white supremacy, the teaching of this replacement theory where we peop, white people have to be afraid that all these colored people are going to take over and knock us out of our position or, you know, whatever. This is totally not the teaching of God. The teaching of God is that everyone is made in God's image. He's an abundant God. There's more than enough to go around for everybody. And we don't have to fear 
And this is, this is the kind of teaching, and a lot of it is under the guise of religion. Let me, let me just say that, a lot of it. Um, and so that, uh, but there's all kinds of other myths, right? I mean, I love Star Wars movies. I love that generally evil is defeated and good wins. But like, think about it, you know, Star Wars, the main event in Star Wars is the force. This is pantheism. This is the idea that God's everywhere. Ditto with Avatar, right? This is, this is being peddled as the way to do things. Uh, the, this is glorified pantheism, Buddhism, whatever you want to look at it. But it is, again, myth. Because any, anything, any good news that is not anchored in Jesus is a myth. Any good news that is not anchored in Jesus is a myth. But it's this teaching that we just, we get it in little doses. Oh, yeah, okay, got that, yep, yep, yep. And then the next thing you know, you actually believe something that's not true. So we have to be aware of that and sow the truth, speak the truth gently, uh, and, and not live by lies. To just refuse to say to repeat lies, to be part of lies, and to expect that it's going to be difficult. That certain people will not, will not believe. It's okay. It's okay. We're not here to twist people's arms. We're here to live in such a way that people would say, I want what they have. That's goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all those things. So fulfilling our ministry means that we, that we hear from the Lord and then we do what he calls us to do. So uh, I know that uh, this season at Marymount Church partly was a season where Marianne and I would be trained through the challenges of li living and leading a local church for the next assignment that we have in the kingdom. Uh, the city prayer canopy is an assignment that God started a few years ago and that will likely continue. Uh, grandchildren. It's a new season. Grandchildren need attention. And it's an honor to be grandparents and to invest in our grandchildren. Uh, and then making disciples internationally. So in the next season... I can sense the Lord calling us to a disciple-making ministry, to intentional international ministry, to intentional grandchildren ministry. So these are some of the things I'm super excited about. Marianne and I are super excited about, but we see this shift in the season and we see this shift in our kingdom assignment of investing in young families um, for the kingdom of God. So... Uh, Nate, take the time to listen and to hear what your kingdom assignment is and to fulfill your ministry and to know when it's fulfilled and when it's time to move on to the next assignment. All right, and then finally, uh, what does it mean uh, to live on mission? It means finishing the race. Finishing the race and uh, receiving your reward. Paul has poured out his life as an offering to Jesus uh, it's interesting that Greek word is, of poured out is spendo. Spendo. It's like 
He's been a penny in the Lord's pocket and he's told the Lord he can spend him any, time, any way he wants. So he's been poured out. He's run the race well. He's an athlete. He's a soldier. He's also a farmer. And so what are the rewards? Let's talk about the rewards. Jack Deere talked about this a little bit, but let's talk about it a little bit more. In Revelation 22, 12, uh, Jesus says, Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Now, Jesus' reward is with him. Uh, reward number one is eternity with Jesus. With him. He's with us now, but we have eternity with him face to face. So eternal life, resurrection body, hearing from him, that the resurrection body that doesn't ache anymore. You know, anybody wake up with aches this morning? You feeling me? Yeah. No more. No more tears. None of that. Well done, good and faithful servant. To hear those words from the king of kings. Can you imagine how that's going to feel? The crown, the crown that Paul's getting, he said, we can get it too if we love the Lord's appearing. We, we can get a crown. We won't wear them very long. We're going to throw them at his feet, but we'll have them, crowns. And then in Psalm 91, it says that he will deliver us and he will honor us. So in some way, I don't understand the king of kings is going to be honoring us for being faithful. It's going to be awesome, folks. In the movie, The Titans, remember The Titans, the football movie, there's a scene near the end where the things are going bad and the referee's uh, not playing it fair and uh, Coach Yost comes out and tells the referee, righteousness is going to deal with you goes back in the huddle and he tells his boys alright we are not going to let them gain another yard and I want you to blitz all night and I want you to leave no doubt and then of course you've got all these helmet cracking tackles and they win the game but the key word is leave no doubt leave no doubt to whose you are Leave no doubt to why you are here. Leave no doubt that you have heard the king and you are obeying his instructions as best as you can. In Marymount Church history, uh, many years ago, there were two churches preaching the gospel in Cincinnati. There was this church and there was College Hill Presbyterian on the other side of town. And those were widely regarded as the churches to go to if you wanted to hear the gospel. I'm talking now in the 70s here in Cincinnati. And I'm sure there were many black churches preaching the gospel as well. I'm talking about predominantly white churches. There were only two. And uh, out of this church, there was a young man who had a Bible study. And uh, that Bible study became Faith Evangelical Free Church that was planted in Milford. That church was faithful, and they planted Hope Church, and they planted in Mason, and they planted Grace Evangelical Free Church in northern Kentucky. Hope Church is where Marianne and I landed when we returned from Hong Kong in 1996. Hope Church uh, was a gospel-preaching church 
a, a, a wonderful community for us to grow in. But we didn't know at the time, but that church had actually come out of the spiritual work of this church uh, earlier on. Hope Church planted River of Life Church uh, in Over the Rhine, uh, which is a faithful, strong, uh, multi-ethnic community witnessing into the inner city. So the roots of God run deep. The roots of God run deep uh, through uh, the work that he's done in this, in this congregation. And it's been seasons. There have been seasons of change. In the last nine years, 12 families have been sent from this church to bring the gospel to 11 states and one foreign country. All right? So that, that breaking off of a, of a shoot from this church has happened in these other states. Uh, this is one of the amazing footprints of this congregation, uh, of this church, because we've been on assignment. We've been on assignment. And people have heard the voice of the Lord and, and it's, sometimes it's crazy stuff. Go to Atlanta and start a media company devoted to the truth. Go to Redding, California and build homes where there can be true biblical community. We call this work that God has done here in our missions footprint, in our families coming and going, in the churches that have been planted here, in the churches that have been planted internationally, we call that the spirit of Antioch. It's the first church that sent, uh, except for the church in Jerusalem, that sent people out. And we read about it in Acts chapter 13. So you, worship team, you guys can come up. Uh, this is a healthy, gifted, and generous church, this church in Antioch. It's got a lot of diversity. It's got a lot of gifting of prophets and evangelists and teachers uh, and apostolic people. And so they obey the Lord and they send people, this case, Paul and Barnabas, they send in the power of the Holy Spirit with fasting. So there's, there's a church that's dedicated to fasting and sending, to investing, to reaching out, to hearing what God wants to do. And that is, that is the legacy of this church. And that is the invitation for each of us to continue to listen, abide, Hear what is Jesus saying? What is Jesus saying? So uh, as we come into worship, I just want to uh, have you guys stand. We're going to have worship and communion. I just have you stand, and I want to pray over you the spirit of Antioch. I want you to experience this, um, this thing. And we're going to have prayer teams uh, up here. Uh, if, you, if you're a prayer team, please come on up. But Father, uh, we're just asking now in the name of Jesus that you, Lord, you, Lord, would bring the, the spirit of Antioch in a fresh way to Marymount Church that every new part of our congregation would be able to embrace the grace of what you have done, that you have... You have brought mission to the front here. You have brought the good news of sharing the gospel. So I ask, Father, that you would do it again, that you would pour out the spirit of Antioch on our church, on our families, 
that you would bless us now as we remember in communion that you were the first missionary, that you also poured out your life for the good news that you brought. So Jesus, as we have communion, we honor you. And we exchange, Lord, uh, all of our uh, selfishness and all of our sin this morning as we have communion. We exchange that for your goodness, for your righteousness, for your missional heart. So as we worship and pray, um, I invite you to the communion table. I invite you to receive prayer. The prayer teams here are ready to lay hands on you, to be filled with the Spirit, to have that spirit of Antioch on you in all that you say and do. And may we remember that it means to make multiplying disciples. It means to endure hardship. It means to uh, know our assignment. And it means to run the race for the reward that you have planned for us. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when you're ready, have communion. Come for prayer. Let's ask the Lord to fill us up afresh today. Amen.
take us, Lord, as we are here. We just say, along with the prophet Isaiah and many others, here we are, Lord. Use us. Use us, Lord. I remember the uh, first time I read through the Bible and I got to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I read those words, preach the word. And it's like an arrow went through my heart. And um, I remember it was at least six years later before I was the pastor here, uh, eight years later. But it didn't stop me from preaching the word to my friends, to my coworkers. So I just want to encourage you that um, you don't have to be a pastor of a church to preach the word. You have to be a disciple of Jesus. Amen? So I bless you today and remind us of the words of Jesus in the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. For lo, I am with you to the very end of the age. Be blessed, church. May the spirit of Antioch fill you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. God bless.